First in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline. Good afternoon. Happy Friday, everyone. Karen Cataline with I'm happy it's Friday. I don't know about you, but I love doing spouting off as well. Well, welcome to the Friday live edition. If you're listening uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 Central, a lot of us are in Central time now, we've flocked to Texas, many of us, including my twin producers at BBS Radio. Welcome to K-Star Radio Network and so many others that are coming on board. Uh, We just signed a new contract to do, I can be happy to tell you, the WSMN 1590 AM New Hampshire edition of Spouting Off Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 uh, Central. Believe it or not, after six months, eight months, whatever it is, I'm still trying to get used to the time zone change. Habits are hard to break, aren't they? (laughs) Anyway, I got lots to talk about here, and we've got an extended guest, an author um, of a book called There's No Free Lunch. Well, the Democrats want to offer you free lunch in return for your liberty, but that's a different story, and and the lunch is crumbs. But we're going to have a good time talking to David Bonson a little later in the program. Also, welcome to Cash Friday. Yay. Please pay cash Friday or as much or in other days as you wish. It helps let them know that cash is king. We are not going to be tracked. Our our payments, our whereabouts, we do not want to be surveilled by the most ignorant and arrogant among us. And they want to get rid of cash. So whatever they want to get rid of, That's pretty much what you ought to uh, perpetuate, I think. I think they want to get rid of morals, values, personal responsibility, God, little things like that. And I think it's important to perpetuate that as well. So um, I'm going to zero in on one subject because uh, although hats off, hats off, hats off to the fabulous election on Tuesday, I've been saying if you listen to me earlier in the week, It's a spit in the ocean, ladies and gentlemen, but it is a spit in the right direction. Uh, And these days, with media as immediate, (laughs) I'm sure there's a pun there somewhere, immediate media, where everything is easy, easy on, easy off, um, something can catch on and go viral in a heartbeat and it can be gone just as quickly. I mean, look at the the sort of throwaway society. Here I go on a tangent again. But you can, you know, riots can be rampant in 2020 and gone in 2021 in the summer. They can turn them on and off like button switches because there's so much political theater out there, dog and pony shows. Not that the riots of 2020 were dog and pony shows. They were deadly dangerous. But that's another story. Um, if people can get jump on a bandwagon quickly, 
they can jump off just as quickly. Uh, the uh, Let's Go Brandon bandwagon, which I just love. It's all good stuff. So hats off to um, the election on Tuesday. Let's hope it's a harbinger of good things to come. Uh, all of it depends on free and fair elections, which I don't believe there was uh, even now. I think if if um, Virginia swept the governor's mansion, the uh, lieutenant governor and the AG's office, then they probably won by a whole lot more. And voter fraud has been with us, according to um, uh, Molly Hemingway, who just wrote a book for decades. How about that? Decades. Anyway, I want to zero in on a topic that I think I don't usually talk about, but everything is grist for our mill. Matter of fact, if you're listening live, you can call in uh, before our first break, 888-627-6008. And if our guest wants to take calls, we love callers. You're welcome to call in if you're listening live. If you're not listening live, uh, we're not going to be at that phone number. So the phone number now, if you're listening from uh, one to two central is 888-627-6008, 888-627-6008. So what I want to zero in on, which I don't often do, but as is so often the case, it's endemic of so much more, is the long contentious issue of abortion. Now, many people have been caught up. Many people are single-issue voters, yay or nay, on legalized abortion. I came late to the table of being a, what I am proud to call a pro-life person, because I finally realized, uh, number one, abortion is, uh, is grew out of the eugenics movement and the left is not responsible enough to make life or death decisions for anyone. Uh, but that's not the aspect of this I want to get to. So the Texas abortion law, which now uh, is even more interesting to me now that I am a transplanted Texan. I'm a naturalized Texan. You can't, you have to have respect for Texas in so many ways. Um, and so I would never say I'm a true Texan yet because I've only been here, what, six, seven months. And uh, I think our, um, our producer, Doug, will probably attest who came not long after I did. It's, it's a culture shock. In our case, a very, very good one. Texans are nicer than a lot of places in the country, but you better not mess with them. And I don't just mean don't mess with Texas. I mean... They're nice to you until you piss them off and you better get out of the way. And I like that about them. <laughs> I really do. Anyway, so Texas drew a line in the sand and created the heartbeat bill and banned abortion after a baby's heartbeat could be heard. Oddly enough, that is Jewish law. Uh, and I don't know. You may know that many, many Jews are very pro-choice, but then they're usually the same Jews who are liberal. And 
there are many more conservative Jews than you know. They still are a tiny minority within a minority, but they're usually observant Jews. They're usually Jews who know their religion. And I'm happy to report that I'm studying my religion more than ever because when your government doesn't want you to exercise your First Amendment rights, which includes your right to practice your faith as you see fit, uh, the only logical thing to do is hold fast to the things that communists left and others, the swinos, that's swamp, swamp rhinos, swamp Republicans, don't want you to do. They're giving you a blueprint. If they don't want people of faith, then we have to strengthen our faith. If they don't want nuclear families because they are a threat to their government power, we got to strengthen our families. They're telling us if they don't want masculine men, if they want men who are wusses, who are clueless, who don't know what sex they are, who don't know what bathroom to use, who are likely not to fight in a war, then we have to strengthen healthy masculinity. Masculinity itself is healthy. Women like masculine men. That's the dirty little secret. But here's what I want to get to about the abortion issue. And you can see all of it is related. It's hard to focus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get focused here. And that is the Democrats are losing their mind about this Texas abortion law. They have lost their cookies over the abortion law. Susan Collins, that wonderful swino, uh, Republican is working with Democrats to defeat the, quote, inhumane Texas abortion law. How about doublespeak there? How about 1984 doublespeak? I almost, I was amazed that women who are so into pro-choice, pro-choice, pro-choice are saying that abortion saves lives. Really? Whose life does it save? The fact is, it isn't the government's business, in my opinion, but if Texas, the state, wants to outlaw abortions after the baby's heartbeat can be heard, then that's called states' rights, ladies and gentlemen. And yet, leftists all over this country cannot stand it. They're freaking out. They're saying, well, well poor people have to travel out of state to get an abortion. Guess what? My husband and I had to travel out of state to find liberty because our state completely uh, became a slave state once the leftists uh, took a monopoly of power in Colorado after, just as an aside, they made legal all mail-in ballots, not an accident. Now there is hardly a Republican to be found in Colorado, and it shows my beloved hometown of Denver is a hellhole. It's ugly. It has rats. It breaks my heart. That beautiful, wonderful city of Denver has fallen prey to all the things the leftists have done to every city, from New York City to Los Angeles to Chicago to Portland to Seattle beautiful city, San Francisco, about which songs have been written. I wouldn't want to leave anything in San Francisco, least of all my heart. Why? Because the left destroys everything it touches. 
Why is it the left cannot live and let live? If Texas wants to have an abortion law, why is the left so out of sorts about it? That's an understatement. Why have they lost their lunch about it? You know why? Because the left cannot abide dissent, number one. We're seeing that. All that, you know, free speech stuff, that was just a precursor to free speech for me, but not for thee. The other thing is they don't respect boundaries of any kind. I could write a book. As a matter of fact, I was trying to write a book about it. I just put it on the shelf. Boundaries, 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 psychological boundaries, physical boundaries, state boundaries, boundaries between the government and the citizen. They hate it all. They want to get in your pocketbook, in your in your bedroom, in your uh, uh, medicine cabinet, in the hospital. They want to get everywhere. And the sad part is they've been doing a great job of it so far. They can't stand for Texas and Florida and other states to be free and to live differently. It's called live and let live. Leftists cannot live and let live. Why? Their power depends on totalitarian rule. That's why. Their power depends on authoritarian government, which means nobody could be free in the midst of their power. Otherwise, everyone will want to be free and they'll want to leave like East Germany wanted, East Germans wanted to go and flee to West Germany. Their ideology depends on force. Ladies and gentlemen, never forget it. Their ideology depends on force. If they couldn't force us, they'd have no power at all. And that's just where they're heading. I got to take a break right now. We're going to welcome our guest when we come back. You're listening to Spouting Off on Cash Friday here on the BBS Radio Network and the K-Star Radio Network. I'm Karen Cataline. We'll be right back. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Do you have a secret that's been bothering you? Have you been wondering if what you're thinking or feeling is normal? Is there someone with whom you've needed to clear the air, but you haven't been able to find the right words? Sometimes you need an objective, second opinion to help you see your problem more clearly. Ask Aunt Emma, and she'll help you move past what's getting in your way. She's a former therapist who is wise and caring, but instead of therapy, she'll give you terrific advice. It's free to ask Aunt Emma and explain your need, problem, or question. If you both agree, you pay only $1.39 a minute. It's anonymous, it's confidential, and you'll be surprised at how effective it is. You can ask Aunt Emma by going to facebook.com forward slash askauntemma. There, you'll find her phone number and extension number. That's facebook.com forward slash askauntemma. Ask Aunt Emma today. And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Well, welcome back to Cash Friday. I love it. Friday's edition of Spouting Off is always on on Cash Friday. Friday at 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. And if you'd like to get all of the schedule, because it does change here, uh, you know, I'm working on projects, a lot of new projects, which I won't be able to announce for a little while. But 
I'm just plugging away, you know. Uh, just go to KarenCataline.com. Karen, spelled the normal way. Yes, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged woman who complains a lot. A white woman, middle-aged white woman who complains a lot. Uh, and uh, Kataline, K-A-T-A-L-I-N-E.com. And there you'll find ways to call in, ways to tune in, and lots and lots of op-eds and podcasts for your uh, perusal and hopefully pleasure. Let me get straight to our guest, leading wealth advisor, author of the new book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. His name is David Bonson. He's a free enterprise. Uh, well, where is my bio? Let me welcome David Bonson and then you can help us more. I'm, I've got too long of a paragraph here, and forgive me. David, welcome to Spouting Off. You're with Karen Cataline. Well, Karen, thanks for having me, and no no need to worry. I promise you I know my own bio backwards and forwards. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, I was remiss there. I'm looking at the paragraph, and it's not the bio I thought it was. So give us a little thumbnail sketch of your background. We'd love to know a little more. Well, sure. I, I, you know, in my day job, I run a uh, private wealth management firm called the Bonson Group. We manage about $3.5 billion and uh, have offices in Newport Beach, California, New York City, which are the two places I go back and forth every month and call home. And then we have uh, other offices in Minneapolis and Nashville. But, um, you know, working in financial markets and, and being a kind of lifetime ideologue, I've taken quite a passion to defense of free enterprise and managed to, in my uh, free time, write a book, which I believe is the reason that we're talking here today. <laughs> well, that was nice and concise. And, uh, you know, I used to live in New York City many moons ago. I lived in the area for about 13 years. And what's happening in New York now, I wouldn't want to even set foot in the airspace. It's scary over there. Do you think it's going to get better after this last election? Just as an aside, I don't just think it's the election. I think that a lot of, you know, I have a fifth grade son and an eighth grade daughter here, and, and they walk all over the city by themselves every day. They go to school. We, we, uh, we, we have been here through the pandemic because um, I felt it was important for those of us that care about sanity and safety and, and, and uh, good public policy to not be the ones that were, were hiding out. And I think a big part of the problem when a lot of the insanity of last summer took place was that the good guys weren't here, you know, and so it made it so much more unsafe to have the various uh, degradation taking place, the mm-hmm. homelessness, the crime, the, you know, vagrancy, things like that. But it wasn't counteracted by all the normal people that were coming to work and were, you know, getting off the subway, walking around. You, you have a certain normalcy in the city just from a population of people that are coming and going and doing what people do, and that went away. And completely, but New York okay. feels incredibly normal to me right now where oh, I was just in good. San Francisco on business a month ago and it felt like a ghost town. And so I, I think it's different cities responding in different ways. That's, that's actually very valuable as a report, uh, you know, because I fled Colorado for Texas 
and uh, as many other people I know have from various places, we just hope they uh, they bring their liberty ideas with them. You know what is a great kind of jumping off place to start to talk about this, not only your book, but about the value and the benefit and the prosperity that free markets and freedom bring to all walks of life, people from everywhere. What we can do is use it as a jumping off place since you are a New Yorker of sorts, but you're well-traveled with the, the mayor of New York that just left a blatant seeming socialist. That's what I was referring to. I wouldn't have wanted to set foot in New York uh, while he was still mayor because he, he was acting like a dictator as many of the left today are out of the closet. Talk about Bill de Blasio and the counter to that, which seems to be your book. Yeah, so basically all of the things that I would just uh, vehemently criticize Bill de Blasio for are the types of things that were covered in the book. Now, here's an odd thing I'll say about Bill de Blasio, because he's as bad of a mayor as his big city can have, and his ideological worldview is as misguided as any public figures could be. But, you know, my kids go to private school in Upper West Side, and you know what they were doing for the entire last year of COVID? They were on campus five days a week. Because Bill de Blasio knew that he couldn't go after the private schools. Gavin Newsom in California tried to shut down the private schools. Mm. And that's the interesting thing about de Blasio, who is mostly an incompetent and certainly uh, um, uh, a socialist. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, that's how he would describe himself as one who believes the party has not become progressive enough when it comes to redistribution of wealth. But even a de Blasio in the COVID moment, he was not the worst mayor in, in the country. Uh, there were mayors worse than him. Now, he yeah, made plenty of mistakes. the bar is so low. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're like right. That's right. Governor the bar is very low. I don't want to. That's like, yeah, that's I, like I, saying I, Governor Polis of Colorado wasn't the worst governor. And he wasn't. But it was a nightmare. Yeah. And he's still a nightmare. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. These these people should be judged on an absolute standard, in which case they'd all <laughs> fail. Uh, right. But to the extent that sometimes we judge on a relative standard, you know, some decisions and some people were worse than others. But yes. I do think that de Blasio, when you bring up the book, he stands for a worldview that believes that all wealth is been created and now has to be properly distributed and it has to be properly distributed by get to central planners who happen to be in the domain that he is in, public officials, bureaucrats, and other disinterested third parties who themselves are not either morally or professionally qualified to allocate the resources of a free economy. And so de Blasio is mostly a slave to his own defunct ideology that praises the Sandinistas, that praises Fidel Castro's Cuba, um, and yet has no clue what it has done to impoverish the souls and the wallets of billions of people. Right. So well said. We're talking to David Bonson, uh, author of the book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. I want to delve into some of those economic truths, but first I want to ask kind of a broad philosophical question. Um, I think 
conservatives and liberty lovers, people who are free marketeers, make a mistake with the current bunch when they attribute they attribute uh, sincerity <laughs> to a group that clearly is not. They take them at their word. Now, I think that there are people on the bandwagon who really believe that leftism is more compassionate. But by and large, when someone tells you, like I, I just wrote, forgive me, this I'm going to try to wrap this up here. <laughs> I just wrote a piece uh, that used as a reference the gurus of the 70s who tried to tell everyone to get rid of all their materialism but give it all to them. You know, I don't know if you know yeah. that. There was like a guru, Maharaji, oh, yeah. who yeah. did that. He had like five Mercedes, but he told all his followers to uh, divest sure. themselves of all of their wealth. Uh, and I think we need to call them out on that and show that they are lying through their teeth. The ones with the most power are telling everyone else, like that famous thing we're hearing from the Great Reset, you will own nothing, but you will be happy. Well, who are you to tell me? you know, what I'm allowed to own, what I'm allowed, and whether I'll be happy or not. These are people who are not honest brokers. I'd love for you to kind of wax philosophic about that. Is it deliberate? Are they lying through their teeth, which I think more often they are? Or are there some true believers? And what's the difference? Well, let's start with what's the difference, because this is one of the great contributions to public thought of Thomas Sowell, who has taught me that we need to judge these people by the effects of their policy, not the intentions of their policy. And so to the extent that there are some true believers, to the extent that there are some well-meaning folks, um, I don't think it actually matters. I think that at the end of the day, um, bad intentioned and good intentioned socialism and progressivism and economic collectivism all end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. But to your point, do I think there are a lot of nefarious actors and people of bad motives? I, I, I most certainly do. Uh-huh. Now, could I guess uh, each and every one? No. And am I willing to say that there's plenty who are sincere and well-meaning? Yeah, I'm sure. But you know who I'm far more critical of than the electeds are the, are the place where this is really coming from, which is the faculty lounges. Yes. These are the biggest hypocrites on God's green earth because they are espousing ideas that have consequences. They are the influence to these up and coming politicians, to these community organizers, social activists, um, they rile up the pop culture. They rile up the you know the pe- the people on social media and music and Hollywood and so forth. That it, it, this shapes culture, and yet yes. they all do so from the comforts of their gated communities, from their tenured um, retirement uh, packages, and and very comfortable salaries and speaking fees. And so I think the greatest um, damage being done with the greatest hypocrisy is actually in academia. Um, but to the extent some people are true believers uh, in the idea of socialism, uh, I wouldn't give them points for having good intention. I would still attempt to lovingly and civilly dismantle the argument. Well said. So well said. And if only we could get our side of the aisle, and not just Republicans, but conservatives and, I mean, true conservatives, to start 
judging and and focusing their rhetoric on the effects of their beliefs. That's where we really win. When you say, you know, what's the difference between Denver now and San Francisco? Not a lot. They both have liberals and leftists controlling and running them in the same policies. Uh, We have to take a little break, and I want to give you an opportunity to comment on that when we get back, and then we'll delve into your book. How's that? Sounds great. Sounds great. What a great conversation. Uh, I love the philosophical stuff because it's stuff that isn't being taught in school anymore, as David points out. You're listening to Spouting Off. I'm Karen Cataline, and we are speaking to David Bonson, who uh, wrote a book called There's No Free Lunch. We'll get back to our interview with him when we get back. Stay with us. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Looking for even more great conservative talk radio? The K-Star Talk Radio Network is a Christian-owned, alternative conservative news and talk radio internet broadcasting network. They have a full line of programming about spiritual, political, social, economic, financial, and health-related topics. And their goal is to encourage critical thinking about the issues of the day. The K-Star Talk Radio Network features great shows like America's First News, The Keith Hansen Show, Erskine, and Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Check out the whole schedule at their website at kstarradionetwork.com. Time could be short for a free people to share ideas in a free society. K-Star Radio Network is fighting a spiritual war on an earthly plane. Visit them today at kstarradionetwork.com And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Welcome back to the Friday edition, the BBS K-Star Radio Network edition of Spouting Off. Um, and I'm your host, Karen Cataline. Program note, we are, I was just telling our producer this, he didn't know it yet. <laughs> we are going to be on uh, on assignment next week and reporting and broadcasting. Uh, hopefully, we don't have a lot of technical glitches. If they are, they're probably my fault. But <laughs> uh, we're going to be broadcasting from a conference, Clay Clark's conference in San Antonio next week, and it'll, we hope, will be a uh, simulcast between BBS Radio, K-Star Radio Network, and WSMN and Radio America, Right America Media. I mean, how cool is that? And we'll try to have a live broadcast. I don't even know who we're going to interview next week, but it should be fun because Clay Clark has been doing these all over the country, and he just happens to be in San Antonio, so I'll be traveling to San Antonio to, um, to cover that for all of you. We are talking to David Bonson, author of the new book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Uh, thank you for staying with us, David. Well, it's my pleasure. 
Yeah. So before we, did you have any other comment on what I left with? I didn't want to wax philosophic and not give you a chance to comment uh, with regard to this whole notion of uh, uh, judging people by the effects of their beliefs and ideologies by the effect of their ideology. I think it's brilliant. It's important. And conservatives don't do enough of it. No, I, I agree completely, and I don't think it's just true in the political realm. I think that politically and just in the public square, the way that we think about ideas, the way we think about policies, we have to look at what has worked and what hasn't, and we have to um, adjudicate these things through a lens, through a set of beliefs, through a set of principles, and short-term pragmatism doesn't work, something that kind of has an immediate impact that looks good but has a worst uh, corresponding cost over time. We have to be thoughtful about this. And so much of what I think people do, and unfortunately this is a lot of people on the right these days, they, they judge it based on um, the personality of the person. They judge it based on a kind of tribalism. But when you get in, those few honest brokers out there that want to look at policy the way you're describing as a matter of judging the effects of the policy, mm-hmm. um, when you do that, it becomes very clear that policies that focus on freedom and responsibility play out well, and policies that focus on central planning do not. And yet, and this, again, I guess it accidentally ends up corresponding right into the message of my book. But this yeah. is a central economic principle, uh, central economic principle that you cannot yeah. um, advocate for central planning just because it does a little good at a little time for a little people when um, the corresponding impact is worse. And that's what I think we've lost sight of. Right. And when you look at the COVID stereo, the, the, all of this being used to impose, in my opinion, communism and socialism on the country using medical tyranny as the vehicle, you find that these so-called self-appointed compassion czars are really hateful and hostile. That's what I was getting at. They really reveal a lack of compassion, a cruelty, a bigotry towards other people who dare to think and live differently than they do. Yes, and I very very much agree. Um, Now, look, I do think that there are people that were not in the position of power, that were not in the position of policymaking, that may have been wrong about certain aspects of COVID, but still had good intentions. And I don't believe when it comes to science that someone is supposed to know everything all at once, especially with the, the uncertainties that existed around this virus. But the problem is the power. The problem is when you take uncertainty and you take fallible knowledge, I don't blame Tony Fauci for being fallible. I don't blame him for getting things wrong. I blame him for having power that he was able to exercise in the midst of his fallibility. I think that when you come down to issues like that where you just simply don't know Um, You have to rely or lean into human freedom, agency, individual responsibility, not lean into centralized power. And, And that, to me, is the big error here. Not people being perfect forecasters of all the moving parts of the science, but it's on people applying power. 
You don't have to be if you don't have the power. I would argue, and I don't want to get off on that tangent, but I would argue that the power was the reason. You know, like Marshall McLuhan, the media is the message. The power was the purpose all along to amass more power. Uh, but notice we can take a, we can segue right into your book with one of the many bullet points that I have before me about your book, and that is virtue, discipline, and individual responsibility matters, uh, and it matters for self-government. And notice that all of this with regard to COVID or anything that this bunch touches is a collectivist, one-size-fits-all, broad brush, everybody has to do it, and nobody has to take responsibility for the results. Speak about that in that chapter in your book, if you would. Well, it's, it's a very important um, component of the book's message, and there's a reason why I closed with that, with that section of the book, is that although I am a free marketeer through and through, I don't advocate for the long-term success of a free marketism that is divorced from future, from virtue and from individual morality. I believe that, that the optimal combination is self-government, self-discipline, mm -hmm. character. I don't want these things to be compulsory from the state because they can't be compulsory from the state. The state can't love us. They can't teach us moral sensibilities. All the state can do is administer the rule of law and protect private property. They have a limited function in this, but mediating institutions, our families, our churches, our, our communities have, have a role in a society that does have a better sense of virtue and character. And this is sort of an Aristotelian idea, friendships, mm -hmm. sustained nations. This was Aristotle's great contribution. He, you know, he saw markets are pretty effective um, at, at allocating resources at allowing people to um, handle the production and consumption of goods and services. And yet there is this missing component that's very unique to the American project. And, and Edmund Burke is my political philosopher hero who spoke mm. so much about our moral sensibilities mattering. Mm -hmm. And one of the great moral sensibilities is responsibility. People that take responsibility for their own affairs, there is much less need for government in a free economy when we do not need the government to bail us out from our own mistakes and misfortunes. And well, so I think yeah. all of these things come together um, in a very specifically economic and moral and cultural sense. That is, it gives me an opening to say, is it any wonder why communists and socialists are trying to break down the free market system, break down uh, liberty in America, which is what it was founded upon, is to break down the culture of personal responsibility and let people get off scot-free, including the lawless, lawless politicians themselves. Um, that's the key to more and more and more government is to let people run amok and, uh, you know, do things like defund the police and make sure there's as much chaos in the world as possible so people will be screaming out for more and more government. Isn't that the way it works? Well, it's sure supposed to be. I mean, I think that that was something our founding fathers predicted quite astutely, is that there is an inverse relationship 
between um, self-government and big government. The more self-government individual responsibility we have, the less uh, need we'll have for larger government. Now, right. this is something that separates me from a lot of my conservative friends, is a lot of my conservative friends believe that it's the government trying to usurp the power and and obviously there's an element of truth to that. The politicians are inherently usually pretty power hungry. But my argument is that the greater problem is not the government usurping power, it's the people giving it the power. Um, relying on the government as the source of, of dealing with their various issues, challenges and so forth. They're giving a messianic role to the government. And and that is essentially the long, slow march of progressivism. We came out of the Great Depression and turned to the New Deal. We came out of the unrest of the 1960s and turned to the Great Society. And, and now we've come out of the COVID moment and have been looking to trillion-dollar package after trillion-dollar mm -hmm. package. And, and by the way, we've done that with Republican and Democrats in charge. That's and true. so I think, I think it's a tragedy. Uh, it is. I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, but again, hate to be a broken record, I shouldn't be. But these are the things that leftist progressives who love socialism want to do, which is to act like, forgive me, kind of a bad analogy, Chester the molester. Here, little girl, here's some candy, Right. They just keep enticing people. You don't have to work anymore. Just sit home. We'll pay you more in unemployment than you can get working so that people will, so that they can uh, cultivate dependence on the government because you get people with the velvet uh, glove and you don't realize later that there's an iron fist in that velvet glove. Isn't that right? Both of those things are not mutually exclusive, what you're saying. Well, and it's not, you're not only right that they're not mutually exclusive, I would argue that they form a partnership. They form a negative yes. feedback loop. And so you, by forfeiting self-government individual responsibility, you invite more government. And yes. once more big government comes in, it encourages greater dependency. Lord Acton's famous line that power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. This is inerrant to the role of the magistrate. The only solution, though, to controlling the size of government is enhancing the individual responsibility and morality of the people. As the, the, the problem of greater social irresponsibility grows, there is no precedent in human history for a society turning to any other solution than the awful solution of government. Going back right. to the days of 1 Samuel in the Bible, the people wanted a king. They want it as a uh, solution to the problems that have come about from their own moral shortcomings, their own individual responsibility uh, problems. And that, to me, is remedied by greater self-government, greater virtue and discipline. That is super. I love it. And I would say that's the reason communists and socialists and big government people want to put down people of faith because people of faith strive to be accountable. They may not always succeed, but at least they want to be accountable to God and not to men. On that point, we're going to have to take a quick break, and we are pleased and privileged to have... 
David Bonson for one more segment here on Spouting Off. You're going to want to stay tuned. What a fascinating discussion from this author. There is no free lunch. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Are you among the millions of Americans who feel uncertain when it comes to their health care? We are happy to inform you that there is a solution, and that solution is Liberty HealthShare. It's a community of like-minded people who work together to pay for their medical costs. You choose your doctor and hospital. Starting at $107 a month for a single, up to $449 a month for a family. That's mom, dad, and all kids. For more info, visit libertyhealthshare.org. That's libertyhealthshare.org. And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Time goes fast when you're having fun talking to a smart guy who loves liberty. And that is the key today. We want to educate more and more people. And if you're already educated, go out, reach out to your sphere of influence and let them know. That's going to be the next question. I ask our one and only guest this hour, uh, David Bonson, and he is author of There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Where do we find that book, by the way, David? Well, it's available at Amazon. It's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at pretty much all bookstores. And and so uh, people's different book shopping Avenues of Choice should have it, and right. uh, it's available as a hardcover book and a Kindle e-reader and even an audio. Tremendous. Who does your audio book? Do you read it or does somebody else? I read it, and oh, I was wonderful. told in my very first book, which, by the way, was called Crisis of Responsibility, the topic we were just talking about before the break, um, uh, that that people only like to buy audio books if the author themselves reads it. And then um, right at that time was uh, a year after the election and, and Hillary Clinton was doing her uh, the, the 2016 election. And I heard the clips of Hillary Clinton reading her own audio book. And I thought, oh, my gosh, <laughs> if I ha- if I sound like this, it's not working. But uh, yeah, I, sure I have don't. done the audio myself of each of my books. And it's actually a fun experience. You get to go through and read your own material live and think of all the things you wish you had said differently. <laughs> or you, you read something and you go, hey, that's pretty smart. I wonder who wrote that. Yeah. Oh, me. <laughs> I, hey, nailed, I, wrote I nailed that, that one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the question. is kind of an overreaching question. This is a shorter segment, so I want to get right to it. Uh, it has been reported that more and more young people, and this, of course, is not surprising given the flat-out indoctrination that we're seeing in K-12 education and certainly in colleges today, and you pointed to that very thing, that young people think that socialism is a perfectly good alternative and claim, and this makes me sick to my stomach, uh, that they would like to live under a socialist system. Now, barring the fact that we have, you know, we have to play catch-up and we can't catch up in the many decades it's taken to de-educate these kids, what is the argument that you have found most effective in uh, wising people up about liberty and free markets of all ages? What is the thing that gets through to them, in your opinion, or what we can do 
to get through to them faster than it took them to get indoctrinated? Well, it's not just the best thing. It's, I believe, the only thing. And at first, my preface, which hopefully is a little bit encouraging, I'm reasonably convinced that for the most part, with some exceptions, most younger people who claim to like socialism, when you look under the hood a bit, peel the onion back, whatever metaphor we want to use, you usually find that they are criticizing capitalism, not praising socialism, and they don't know the difference. And what they know of capitalism and the way they describe capitalism is not capitalism. I, first of all, don't like the word capitalism. I don't think that the ism, the, the, the full system and structure of free enterprise, is only about the free flow of capital. Adam Smith did not name it capitalism. Karl Marx did. But the fact of the matter is that <laughs> I want to win the argument with young people through persuasion by rooting the argument for free enterprise in the human person. We have chosen to try to win the argument by using a form of the greed is good speech from Wall Street, that everyone could just get ahead and capitalism rewards hard work and it punishes laziness. And that over stereotyping misses the point that ultimately what free enterprise does is honor the dignity of the individual, that where there is a person who's been disadvantaged, who is, is poor, who has harder opportunity you know, to come by, that it is not fair to their soul, to their dignity, to treat them as if they're incompetent, incapable of being productive, incapable of being creative. I argue to young people that only free enterprise honors the dignity of the human person created by God to flourish to be creative, to be productive, and that there is no such thing as a two-caste system where some people are really special and talented and productive, and then everybody else is to live off of their productivity. I believe all people can contribute to society, and yes, markets will eventually provide different prices and different rewards to different talents, different goods and services, but if we believe in freedom, if we believe in people being able to pursue their own chosen dreams, goals, and aspirations in life, then the free enterprise system will best facilitate it, and central planners, time and time again, will fail because they lack the incentives and the knowledge to properly plan, centrally plan the affairs of society. Well, it's impossible for them to. Isn't it only the arrogant among us who think they can be lord and master over the rest of us? I mean, to of course, even that's, that's why Hayek called it the fatal conceit, because it is yes. a conceited position. Who called it that? Hayek? Friedrich Hayek. Hayek, that's right. Yes, Friedrich Hayek. Yes, that's the point, is that people who are, uh, this was my monologue today, live and let live people would never think to be lord and master of others because they respect their right to self-determination. Once upon a time when I went to Columbia School of Social Work, <laughs> believe it or not, Columbia School of Social Work, they were teaching self-determination. Now they, tre- they teach uh, serfdom. You know, how respectful is that, right? Well, that's exactly right. And I want, I want people who are somewhat tempted towards central planning and tempted towards 
um, a progressive economic system to understand that the, the belief that people cannot pick themselves up, that they do not have the ability to contribute to society in a meaningful way is immoral. And what is inspiring yes. to people is the moral cause of free markets. What is not inspiring is rooting it in purely materialistic or deterministic ends. And, I, and that's yeah. why I think that the cause of human flourishing and centering economics around human action, as my book does, is ultimately the right message for young people to join the cause of a free and virtuous society. Terrific. It's, I just wish you so much success with this book. I can't help but I want to ask you, since you talk about this, you've clearly thought about this in great depth, that uh, you pointed out that Marxism, it was Marxists who called it capitalism. We love when they're constantly defining us. There are opponents you know, opponents to free markets are the ones that always uh, define us. And the same could be said for characterizing free markets as greed. What I cannot figure out is why conservatives have been so poor at explaining what greed it is to think that you get to decide what everybody else should get. That's the greediest of all, isn't it? Two for me, one for well, you. And I, Three for me, yeah, none I, for you. I think I think you would you would love that part of my book where where I say I quote Walter Williams. He says this is what people think greed, greed is. Uh, first of all, his definition of social justice is I keep what I earn and you keep what you earn. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's if that's wrong, tell me how much of what I earn belongs to you and why. And, and my commentary is that the principle he's advocating there is inerrant justice. It is private property. It's protecting private property. What's unjust is the confiscation of private property. But there's nothing charitable about saying, I want to help you by taking from someone else to do it. Charity yes. is me freely giving, yes. freely giving for my own resources to help somebody else. And so yeah, you've got to put your hand in your own pocket not in somebody That's else's right. pocket to help yourself feel charitable. I'm sorry that I interrupted there, but we have to wrap it up. <laughs> yep. I, know. You get no, me I totally going. understand. I thank you for letting me talk about the book today. I really do. No, I mean, I, well, we have a minute to just take our time to do it. David Bonson, B-A-H-N-S-O-N. I love this topic. I think this is at the root of what's ailing America right now uh, in all its many forms with authoritarianism and so forth. Uh, the book is called There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Get it. Uh, and thank you so much, David, for joining us. We appreciate the generosity of your time. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Godspeed. Good luck with the book, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that about wraps it for this edition of Spouting Off. Go out, spend some cash. And start using cash. It's freedom. Freedom is free markets and all that good stuff. Thanks to Doug and Don and everybody at BBS Radio and at K-Star Radio Network. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week when there will be so much to spout off about here on Spouting Off.